This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the art of charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The art of charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some free ebooks and drills and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, listen to The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, including some episodes on breakups and relationship management. That's where all the basics are, so get a handle on that first. We've got boot camps running every single month here in Hollywood, California. Details on those at theartofcharm.com. Looking forward to meeting all you guys here at AOC. Today we're talking with Michael Simmons, writer over at Forbes Magazine. We're going to talk about being vulnerable online and why it's key for networking, your online media presence as a storytelling platform rather than a trophy wall, which is what most of us use it for, myself included, admittedly, and the one factor uniting high performers, and we're going to show the science. This isn't one of those weird bullet-pointed internet marketing claims. We're also going to talk about the power of your origin story and how it makes you highly relatable online and in person and seven power networking habits that should become a way of life for all of us. And then, of course, we wrap with a fashion tip from Aaron Marino. So enjoy this one with Michael Simmons. All right, here with Michael Simmons. So tell us, you know, I'll let you introduce yourself because one of the things I hate the most is when a host reads a bio. It's so corny. And yours is enormous. And out of just pure laziness, I think I'm going to let you introduce yourself because there's a lot here. Top 25 under 25 by Inc. Magazine, top 30 under 30, dot, dot, dot. I mean, there's a lot going on here, Mike. Well, you know, big thing about me and a theme throughout my life is relationships. And for me, my first half of my life was about the feeling alone, actually. And when I kind of look back and psychoanalyze myself, I think that feeling of aloneness growing up as an only child and a, a single mom, feeling a little bit different, I feel like underlying is part of me wants to just really connect with people. And that's what really motivates me. And in my, in my 20s, without even realizing or setting out to do it, I built and our organization built uh, a network of many of the country's top leaders from billionaire entrepreneurs, philanthropists, congressmen, senators, university presidents, senior administration officials. And uh, you know, I personally love connecting with people. And I think relationships have had a huge impact on my life personally and professionally. I think it's one of the single biggest things that someone can do to live a, a rich life personally and professionally. And in one of your recent articles that I read, you actually sort of prove that with with science that I'll let you explain. I mean, the article in Forbes here, why being the most connected is a vanity metric, and we can get into that in a little bit, but you actually talk about how networking is a set of clusters, not just one big one, and how brokering info between networks is actually one of the key factors in high performers. Can you get into that a little bit? Because I think we talk about networking a lot, 
people will go, okay, got a network. Okay, that doesn't just mean collecting business cards. But the fact that there's science showing that like, hey, high performers all do this and it's not a coincidence, that's a big deal. Yeah. And you know, first, just to give some context, I, I write a column for Forbes on authentic relationship building. Each article, I really try to bring in the science. And everyone knows that relationships are important. But most of the content out there, uh, or a lot of the content out there, uh, doesn't do service to some of the amazing science research that's happening uh, in neuroscience, social psychology, sociology, and network science, which is the field that I pulled from in this article. I interviewed Ron Burt and basically how networks form. We often think about it as one big network, but really it's what hap- It's a set of clusters. And what happens is uh, people, there's something called homophily, where people that are like each other are more likely to connect. And then that happens at a, a cluster level where these clusters form of people that are similar to each other. And what starts happening is people start using similar the certain language or, uh, you know, phrases where, uh, where in that community, it completely makes sense, but outside of it, it doesn't make sense. And that helps the communication in that community, but it makes the information sticky and it needs to be translated for, and it needs to be translated from one cluster to another. And that's where brokers come in and brokers are people who are part of multiple clusters who are able to tra- to, translate and bring insights from one group to another. Okay. And Ron Burt has done a lot of research showing that brokers are uniquely successful in their career. Okay. So, so to give an example of this, this might be like older people in their sixties have a hard time communicating with younger people in their twenties, even if they're doing business together for, which is not uncommon in today's sort of startup techie world. You might have a bunch of investors who are in their fifties and above with millions of dollars on Sand Hill Road. And then you've got these guys who are 19 being like, it's an app which is on your phone that lets you take a little video and send it instantly. And then after they view it, it's gone. And they're like, what do you mean by that? Right? It's totally different, different types of things using different sorts of jargon that people don't understand. And then you might have somebody whose job it is, like an incubator, working in an incubator to go, I've got a startup that basically takes something from these kids and puts it over here and it happens millions of times and we can put ads in there and make lots of money. And the old guys go, mm, yes, okay, I like that. Here's $20 million, right? <laughs> so, or, or even to be more simple, younger people and older people and then a school teacher going, I understand what they're saying because they talk like this around me all day. He's explaining something that he sees on TV or in a movie to his wife who works at a bank. Exactly. And it's counterintuitive, but most people, because most people focus on one network and they focus on how do I get to the top of that network and all their attention on that, where as a broker, it's kind of harder to do in some ways because you're, you're getting all this conflicting insights and perspectives and you kind of feel like an outsider sometimes, but you're able to control how the, when the information goes over and how it goes over. Uh, so it's fascinating. Excellent. So I think, and, and what you're saying then is that the people who are the broker, those people are uniquely successful. What do you mean by successful? So Ron Burt is one of the most cited academic researchers in network science. And he did a, a fascinating study over seven different populations to study how, how people became successful in their careers. And he measured 
their title, their salaries, their promotions. And he found that the single biggest predictor of their success, what came down to one variable, which was whether they had an open network or a closed network. So a closed network is a network where everyone knows each other. Mm -hmm. And then an open network was where most people don't know each other. And people with the open network, uh, I think it was 66 percent of the explained variance in their success was just due to that one variable. Okay. And that, so that's a big deal for what, to unpack that a little bit, what that means is if we're looking for a common thread among all of these high performers and all these successful people, the one thing that we can readily identify is that they are brokers between networks, which, which basically says, Hey, unless we're missing something huge, that's one of the main reasons that they are high performers. Exactly. And, and it's also finding the balance too. So it's not about trying to all it's, you also have to build your reputation within each group as well before you can effectively booker. So it's kind of going back and forth. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so this is really, so this is really important if people want to stay ahead of the curve, do you see relationships and the way that we build them changing then in the 21st century? I mean, not that the 21st century is that new here. We're, we've been in it for a while, just in case you didn't get the memo. But is it significantly different than it was before? Is it something we're just realizing and it's always been there? Or is this something that's now more potent than ever because communication is so easy? So a lot of people, when you think of the term social media, they think of you know short communication, shallow, maybe people using it as a trophy wall. And I think in that, I think a lot of people really miss the that's a huge shift in how we communicate with each other and and what it means so it means a few things one is we all of a sudden have this public persona and that it's we when we communicate something it's permanent it's shareable it's likable it's common anybody can comment on it from any part of our life so it could be our our friends our family uh our work colleague so uh, or uh, so a girl we want to date. And so it's kind of this awkward thing that if you're just getting that, just building a public persona, when in the past, every, only, the only people who had that were people who were TV personalities and, and celebrities. And now we all have a certain level of celebrity. And I think the mistake that most people make is that, playing it safe and almost using how they communicate online as a trophy wall and doing just posting all of their accomplishments. And you know, there's another way where if you, if you post in a different way, you can really build deep relationships with people. And I think the second implication is we all now have a third network. So everyone, you've probably heard about strong ties and, and weak ties, sure. but now there's, I would say tribal ties so it's a whole network of people who knows us, who resonates with our content that we put out, but that we don't really have a one-on-one relationship with them and uh, who in some way is invisible to us because only a small percentage of people will even show that they're following us and like us or, or comment us. Okay. So there's a lot there. So basically what people are doing, and we've noticed this and even mentioned it on the show, people don't go on Facebook and go, uh, kind of a boring day. In fact, if they do, we tend to punish them by unfollowing because there's no value in that for us. And when people post 
my latest vacation. They go, man, you're always on vacation. How do you even get anything done? <laughs> and that's because the last, last two months they were quiet while they busted their ass doing something else. So now we see their vacation or this vacation. And also nobody wants to look like a knucklehead online. So they post interesting, fun stuff. And here's how cool I am stuff, like you said. And that makes them, what, unrelatable then? Or is that sort of the argument? Yeah. So one of the people I interviewed was uh, Abraham Tesser. And basically, he did this study and he found that people, uh, for people that are close to you, who outperform you in something that's important to you, you actually feel subconsciously worse about that person and you don't even realize it. So he he had that where people outperformed their friends and he asked them, how willing would you be to support that person? And of course, everybody said, oh, yes, they're my friend. I'd be willing to support them. But their behaviors didn't reflect that. And he also was freeze framing the the video when they asked that. And there's this, you know, our face doesn't lie and have these, you know, expressions of basically low self-esteem and negativity. So by using social media as a trophy wall, I think at some level we're unconsciously pushing people away if we're only doing that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know that for, it also causes us to compare ourselves to those people, which makes people feel bad, which then associates that with you. And it's like, I don't want to ask Jordan how he's doing because he's just going to tell me all this stuff that makes me feel bad about myself. And it actually inhibits networking. But it's really common because you don't want to hide those things either because then you're being inauthentic as well, right? Yeah. So you know, a lot of times people focus on just the success and then the, okay, here's the lesson from it. Right. And a lot of lessons, I mean, almost all our best lessons in life come from some pain we experienced and that we had to overcome. So I think there's a way of using social media as a platform where we could still talk, we could still show the success and lessons learned, but we also talk about the real story behind, or as I call it, the inside story about where, you, where that lesson learned came from. Okay. And so how do we balance vulnerability online or, or relatability online with with this phenomenon that we are naturally doing this as a trophy wall. I mean, how do we stop do using our online presence as a trophy wall while still sharing our personal victories? I think it comes down to using it as a first think about it as a storytelling platform. And you know, every story has has a, a conflict, a decision point, and then a resolution. And so you can still still share that that success, but just share be open to sharing the challenge. And a lot of times our organization has done over 600 events on college campuses and workforce development boards. So we've helped a lot of speakers tell their stories. And a lot of the best stories are the ones that you're most resistant to share. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if you feel like something's outside your comfort zone or you don't want to share that, sometimes that's really also a good opportunity to kind of look into that deeper and question why you don't want to share it. Sure, because it might just be your ego going, this doesn't fit into the picture of, of me that I want other people to have versus what you actually are. That Exactly. Okay, interesting. I, I, and actually, a good uh, study, I, I interviewed Emily Pronin, who's a professor at Princeton University, and she's done uh, basically studies around this. And basically, people are naturally reluctant to share their emotions or thoughts and feelings. And they think that other people won't understand it or they'll negatively judge them. And basically, what she found is that 
the authenticity is always, that's what really shines through and that people appreciate. They don't notice the other part as much. Okay, got it. That's interesting. So you can front all you want, but it's not necessarily going to even help you. Exactly. Wow. And that's sort of counterintuitive, right? It seems like the more bragging you do online, the more people buy into it, but really it just pushes other people away because they feel like you're not, you're unrelatable. Interesting. Yes. And, and the other way around, you know, sometimes showing vulnerability is a sign of strength as well. I, I would agree. In fact, we teach a lot of that at The Art of Charm because we believe that, of course, showcasing vulnerability is the ultimate sign of strength. Because if you can say, look, my armor's down, that means, wow, this person really is not, a, their confidence comes internally. They don't need these external factors. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a sign of a high value man, right? It doesn't, you, you don't think that the guy who talks about his car and his house is super cool. You think he's insecure because he's overcompensating. But if you never find out and you just think this person's really nice and then they invite you over for a barbecue and they live at the top of the Hollywood Hills, you go, damn, this dude's modest. I never even heard about this place. You know? <laughs> and, and, and he picks you up in a, in a car and you know, you're going, I didn't even know. I had no idea. That's the, that's the ideal outcome because he's letting you judge him on face value rather than on the things he's acquired and accomplished. And coming from LA, you know, everybody's doing the LA thing in their social media. Boom, look at this car. They don't even, even if it's not theirs, they'll take a picture next to it to sort of right, be like, right. <laughs> I am associating myself with this because it's kind of what I want you to think about me rather than I just saw this on the road and it's really cool, right? Yeah. Hey guys, I want to take a quick break for a second here. You've heard me talk a lot about taking you to the next level in life, at work, and in your relationships. And you've probably also thought to yourself, yeah, I want to up my game. I want to become a better man, a better boyfriend or husband, and a better person. And my guess is that you've been thinking about this for a long time. Am I right? Well, I'm here to tell you this. Stop thinking. Your chance is now. Do you really need more time, more information, and more plans for the future? Or do you want to become that guy today? Because the truth is this. You can be the guy who sits around and thinks about becoming better, and there's plenty of those guys out there, or you can be the guy who decides that today is the day you're going to do something amazing, and I want that for you. Why? Because you've already got what it takes. The potential is there, even if you don't know it yet. Join me and thousands of other guys who've taken action in their lives at The Art of Charm. Call or email us, and we'll see if The Art of Charm can help you with your personal, relationship, and business challenges. Now let's get back to the show. And a little bit about my origin story that helps explain why I'm passionate about this and interested in it. I was kind of the opposite to the way I am now. In high school, my friend and I started a business and we were young entrepreneurs during the dot-com boom. So we wouldn't say it outright, but we kind of hint that we're millionaires. And even local paper, I remember, posted that we were millionaires when we weren't. We yeah, I think our senior year we made forty thousand dollars, which is it's great for a high school senior, but uh, it's definitely not a millionaire. And you know, I was I didn't have a girlfriend. I was really shy, but I just remember like you did after that article. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that didn't change my my luck in high school. Uh, but in college, I you know the business went under, and I you know I didn't tell anybody for a year. I just when people ask how the business was doing, I just would basically say it's doing well. And I remember moving about 30 to 45 minutes off of campus at NYU into this roach infested apartment where there was uh, 
there's I should have known when we moved in that there's a lot of bugs in there because they had all these uh, roach traps around. But there's literally like 20, 30 bugs we counted per day. Oh, my God. So the pain of, you know, trying to like project this image of success and at the same time I'm living in like the exact opposite you know, that's a big weight to carry. And I think that's where I realized it's not worth carrying that weight. And when I, op- when I started opening up to people, they're like, man, that's really refreshing. Like, I appreciate you sharing that. And people had, res- had more respect. And that's where I learned, personally learned the power of all this. Wow. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense because doing it in person all the time, but seldom do we say, oh yeah. And also you have to do this on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, exactly. And I think the you know, the culture right now isn't to do that, but I think that's also a big opportunity to really separate yourself and that, you know, people will, will see that. And I'll, I will share that there's two things that I learned in doing that because I basically went through this experiment last year. Right? I almost wrote every day of the year for the first half of the year, just posting and really trying to push the limits mm-hmm. of my own vulnerability and comfort zone. Right. So two things I learned is, you know, if you imagine – and there's this movie that I watched when I was in college called Fat Girl. I remember that because it was just a movie. It was like had this like terrible low ending and it just ended. And you're like at the end of it, you're like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. And, you know, I think with the same thing with social media posts, if you just share all the negative and then you don't kind of share, OK, here's what I learned or you don't share like the empowering context that somebody else could take away, then it could cut the vulnerability could be more just complaining. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I learned is that you need to, it's important to explain why you're doing it at some level. If it's a big shift, if you've been posting only all the trophy wall, and then suddenly you're sharing those inside feelings and what's going on, that can take people by surprise. And what I learned is that, you know, people create a story of why that's happening. And some of my friends thought I was going crazy at the time. And uh, they only told this to me in, in retrospect uh, months later. Yeah. But in, in retrospect, I would have taken control of that narrative and really explained it better. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, so do you think that society as a whole is becoming more and more public? I mean, that sort of seems like a question that should answer itself, but it almost isn't necessarily true in every way. Because if we're putting forth a bunch of fake crap about ourselves in social media, are we really becoming more public or are we just becoming more showy in, in more ways that are more accessible to everybody, but we're actually not becoming more public at all? I mean, what do you think hmm. about that? That's a really good question. I mean, I think, I think both are true in a way. I know for without a doubt, I do feel like we're as a culture, parts of the culture are becoming more authentic. You, know, you look at the superheroes of the movies and like the dark Knight and, you know, Wolverine, some of the, movies I like, you know, they're not, uh, Superman, they're not like the perfect people anymore. They're Mm -hmm. flawed people, but that really try to rise despite their flaws and do something positive. So I think there's signs like that. And there's authors, you know, uh, James Altucher comes to mind as kind of a a male entrepreneur has been very open, but there's, there's other entrepreneurs that I follow who've uh, just been very open and that's really allowed them to build deep relationships. Excellent. Yeah. Good point. Wolverine, right? A fan favorite, total a-hole in most of the movies. Yeah. <laughs> and just, yeah, had these huge challenges as well. Right. And nobody quite fully understands him because he's, and he's so brooding in private. Um, but, <laughs> but all right. So how do we start to take this into the practical realm? 
I know one of the things that you do, for example, is you make one introduction per day, which is actually a lot. I mean, 30 introductions a month, you have to have a big-ass Rolodex to even make that non-repetitive, right? Yeah. So introductions are really powerful in the sense that if you're good at it, you know, five-minute introduction could really change someone's life. One person I interviewed was Adam Rifkin. and oh, yeah. He, he's done uh, – have you interviewed him before? I have not, but I will I, – maybe you can introduce me to him. <laughs> <laughs> that will be my introduction uh, for the day. All right. But, so he's done three introductions for 10 years, which is like 20,000 introductions, something like that. And he's introduced, uh, I, I think, like two or three husbands and wives, dozens of uh, funding opportunities and like 12 business partners working together. So you think about the, the impact on people's lives. And even though it does take five minutes per day, what I learned when I was, I, and I did this, I did three introductions a day for about half a year is it's what's hard about it is it's hard to just like look on, go on Facebook and say, okay, I'm picked somebody out of the thousands of people and find someone else to introduce them to. You kind of really have to know where people are, what their challenges are, and then get in the habit of making it the re the re. So in order to do those introductions, you also need to build another habit of keeping in touch with your network and asking how you can be helpful and getting in that mindset. Great. So you don't have to constantly be thinking of who can, who makes sense, but you can also just offer these introductions based on who you think might be helpful. Cause this is really one of those areas where it's the thought that counts. As long as you aren't getting people to invest tons of time into introductions that aren't going to be fruitful, people always appreciate it. I would imagine. Yeah, I think the key though is double opt-in introductions. So a double opt-in introduction is where you ask permission from each person beforehand if they're open to the introduction. People really appreciate that. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you have plenty of times, been introduced, a friend introduces you to someone and they're just not a good fit or maybe they're the perfect fit but you're just too busy. So it's almost more of a burden than a help. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because I love when the audience of this show will introduce me to people, and I love I love when they take the initiative. What I hate is when they go, here's a web link, and I'm like, great, now I have to do all the legwork to like reach out to this guy that you went to high school with. Makes no sense. But I also, you're right, there is, the double opt-in is really key because there's oftentimes where I'll get an introduction to somebody who seems like a cool guy, and I'm sure they they see the fit and why that might be a good fit, but I've had no chance to ask why they think it's a good fit. So suddenly I'm getting a phone call or an email from a guy who's like a commercial real estate broker. And I'm like, hey, nice to meet you, but what the hell am I supposed to do? You know, and, and the guy's yeah. like, I don't know. My friend John said you were a good guy and you had this show, but I'm not really sure. I thought you were coming to the call with something. And then we're like, well, all right, bye. I mean, it's super awkward and it's kind of like, why did I schedule half an hour out of my day to talk to this guy who thought I was coming in with something he, and, and I thought he was coming in with something and now I'm, you know, reading, now I'm reading Forbes.com because I got nothing <laughs> planned right now, right? Yeah, and that's what it comes back to the, the beginning part of our conversation is being a broker is if an introduction may seem obvious to you, but if you're connecting two people from different parts of the network, you really have to provide a lot of translation and really explain why you think they should meet and take at least two to three sentences to be specific. And if it's really important, I think it's worth 
even giving the people a call, like five minute call. And this is like, you don't do this all the time, but to really explain why you want to do it. I'll give you a hack that my friend Jason Gagnard uses, and it's amazing. Uh, and it's amazing. He actually uses SoundCloud and he creates a private uh, a piece of audio that he emails both of us. And he goes, the emails are so impersonal. He's got this like cut and pasting. He's like, emails are so impersonal. And I thought you guys would be a great fit. And then you click on this SoundCloud link and it's like, Hey, Jordan, I thought you should meet Michael Simmons. He's a really interesting guy. He's been published in Forbes, da-da-da-da. And Mike, Jordan runs the, and he just literally says it, doesn't have to type it. We're both listening to it. And suddenly I'm like, oh, yeah, this does make sense. And if I have a question, I can reply to his email where we're both BCC'd. So it, yeah. it knocks it out of the park on that. Yeah, Jason, I actually just came back from Jason's Mastermind Talks, one of the best events I've I've ever been to. And yeah, he's amazing, and that's that's a great idea. That I might steal that hack. Yeah, do it, do it. Because when I saw it, I was like, "What is this nerds using SoundCloud? Come on, Jason!" And now I'm like, <laughs> "Oh my god, how have I not been using SoundCloud the whole time?" And it was really funny because recently he got his nose broken because he's training to the martial arts. He got his nose broken, so this, the introductions were all like, "Hey, Jordan, this is Jason. I wanted you to beat Michael. He's a really interesting guy." And so <laughs> I thought that you know it's funny and it's so much more personal because it's like he's talking to you with the intro and it's just it's you're just that much more likely to to go well he put forth this effort so he must have thought mm. it made sense right yeah and uh, it's not just like firing off 10 e- template emails with my name in one and then the other person fill in the, in the blank and the other one to knock out your monthly introduction quota right it feels yeah. so much more personal another thing he does is like if he just came comes from a conference or meets someone instead of just shooting off an email does actual video, a private video and puts it online for people and like just makes such a, I mean, a great example is we're talking about it right now and it just shows the, the power of it. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. We're literally talking about that <laughs> very meta. I'm going to have him on the show soon too so we can have him spill even more of the beans into how that works. You've got a, a lot of great, I mean, share your origin story on Facebook. Great tip. Make one introduction per day. Great habit. What else? I know you've got some sort of seven magical habits, right? Practical <laughs> habits that you're putting together. Can we get a sneak preview on that stuff? Because I think that's really juicy. Yes. Uh, well, one article I wrote uh, got viewed around 500,000 times and it's gone viral. And it's called The One Thing You Should Do After Meeting Someone New. And a lot of times it's like a, it's a hard question to ask in the 21st century. Like, do we, uh, like, what information do we collect in them and put it in a database? Are we actually going to do that? And make the article makes the case. And I interviewed Francis Pedraza, who, who yeah, does this. I also it, interviewed him about something totally different. But yes. Yeah, yeah. He has a really, uh, he's a great guy. And he has a really uh, cool approach where he's, the idea is you segment the people. Because um, for as example of an, a segment, if you, let's say you're in you New York and San Francisco and wherever you go somewhere, you uh, like to organize a dinner. So if you take that step to put them in that segment of San Francisco dinners, let's say, then very easily you can go back and when you're in that city, you can invite all those people to dinner instead of being like, oh, I just got here. Who should I invite or who should I connect with? Yeah, yeah. Because then, of course, you're you're trying to play favorites with everybody and you're trying to you're trying to make it happen in this like little individualized group and you end up meeting with like one person because you have other crap to do. Yeah. And this just allows you to you think about it once and then you don't you don't you don't need to think about it again. You can just know who to reach out to. Another great example is 
let's say you come across an article online and you want to share it. And for me, I read a lot of relationship articles. You know, you, most people just think, oh, this would be great for Jason or, or this would be great for Jordan. When really there's probably 10 times as many people who would be interested in that article in your network. So if you have a segment of people who are interested in those type of articles that you read a lot, you can really easily share it with those people. And there's a great tool that I use called Contactually, mm-hmm. where that really makes it easy to do it on a personal level, where it's, it makes it easier to do one-on-one emails more quickly. That makes a lot of sense, right? So you can basically say, oh, here's my relationship people, and it emails the 35 people who you know will dig that article, rather than me sending it to you and going, ah, I don't have time to send it to the other people. It's too much of a pain. Exactly. Or you just don't even like you can't even think about who it would be helpful for. Right. Or you forget somebody, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And I I kind of know who's using this tool, too, because I find something in my inbox like every four days. Here's an insight. Here's an article you might like. I'm Damn it. Stop giving me so much value. You're you know, you're driving me crazy. I can't return it. You know, the favor. Hate those people. Yeah, really. I feel, you know, value violated. Um, (laughs) So great. So contactually segmenting people, uh, creating events in the city where you are to make sure you're kind of hitting everyone. So what about this as a counter argument? If you're doing a dinner and I invite, I mean, is there a limit to this? Because it seems like if I go to New York and I invite 24 people to a dinner, 16 of them who don't get to sit near me and can't hear me say anything are going to be like, why the hell did I show up to this? Well, I think there's, you could have multiple buckets of people. You know, there's some people who, you know, you just, want to connect with one-on-one. And so you definitely want to connect with those people one-on-one, but there's a lot of people who you just want to catch up with and see you. And they're part of the same group. So for me, it's like young entrepreneurs. And so I know that they would enjoy connecting with each other. If it's completely random people who probably wouldn't enjoy meeting each other, then, you know, maybe that's not a good as an idea. You know, one thing that Keith Ferrazzi does, uh, is he, he has a monthly dinner in, uh, in Los Angeles every Saturday, I think it was for brunch where people who want to connect with him one-on-one, unfortunately he's not able to meet with everyone. So he'll buy those people, uh, lunch, actually invite his family. So they're part of the, that routine as well. And so I thought that was an interesting way of doing it as well. Wait, he invites his own family or he invites those people's families? He invites his own family. Oh, wow. That's so, that's so random. So why do you, why do you think he does that? And I'll ask him when, when we interview him soon, but why, what's the <laughs> rationale behind that? My understanding was that it's a Saturday. It's time you normally spend with your, your family. And it's a way to connect. I mean, relationship building is, you know, personal and your family is part of your life. So I, you know, I thought that was an interesting way to, to, to mix it. Yeah. Mix it up. I, I often bring my girlfriend on stuff like that. And I think for me, well, yes, of course you get to spend time with your significant other as well. But I think also it makes perfect sense. One, for me, I can get her read on the person, which is great because she can observe while I'm chib jabbing, you know, yammering away with the person and go, mm, I don't think what he said was true, blah, 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 et cetera. You know, I can get an expert opinion on that. But also it's it sort of gives the impression, which is accurate, that, you know, this person is a part of my social network and it's not just like a business meeting on a Sunday that I'm f- sort of grinding out until I can get out of there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So invite your family, segment people, share origin story on Facebook. What else can you throw at us? Another another thing is, I actually learned this from Emerson Sparks. Uh, I was waiting for you to say, I'm going to interview, I'm going to be interviewing him in two weeks. Nope, I have uh, no idea who that is. <laughs> uh, Emerson is 
uh, one of the smartest people I know in the world uh, in virality. His website, he's about, I think, 26, 27. His website gets hundreds of millions of uh, visitors per month or page views per month. And so his, his thing was most, you know, right now you go into Facebook, Facebook creates an algorithm of who's most important. And that doesn't exact, if you were to go through your own network and say, who are the key people that I want to keep in touch with every month? There's probably not a one-to-one match between who's important and the algorithm. So Facebook has a great feature called close friends. So I have about 30 people. I find that's a good number to not be overwhelming. So that way, whenever they post, you get a notification. And I also then make the effort to really be proactive. And I think that another mistake that people make on social media, and there's actually been some studies about this, that people, a lot of, most people use social media as like a consuming content like in other people's lives rather than really interacting. And it doesn't take that much longer if you've read someone's post to like it or, or comment on it. So I'm I'm proactive in commenting and that I that really very quickly deepens the relationship with people. And the nice thing is you're already going, you know, at least I go to Facebook at least once a day. Most people do. So it's not like you're adding a new habit. You're just getting better. You're connecting with the people you want to connect with. Sure. Yeah, that makes that makes sense because it becomes a habit at that point. People see that you're involved. It's not just lip service, especially when they read something that says, oh, this person read the article, thought critically about it, has comments that make sense, are in my wheelhouse, et cetera. It gives them impetus to to come forward and connect with you rather than you just saying, hey, I liked this. Because maybe you did, maybe you didn't. I get email like that all the time. Like, really interested in what you guys are doing. Anyway, give me a call some at some time. I have something I want to talk to you about. And I'm like, translation, you want to sell me some lame B2B <laughs> service. You have no idea what my business is. If I reply, you might look at my homepage. Got it. Right, right. Yeah, I, and I, I try to comment. and I, I mean, I just try to comment. I, I comment sincerely on, on the posts, just like I was having a conversation with them. And you know, especially it is sometimes like you put out, we've all had that thing where we, we put out something that might be personal or vulnerable. And you kind of, as much as at least I, I you know, I don't want to admit it. You know, I, it means a lot if I, if I'm vulnerable and like people, I get comments. If it's something's really silent, then I'm like, uh, I just have no idea how to interpret that. So if I, especially if I see vulnerability, I know what that feels like and I will, will comment on it. Excellent. Great. So is there anything else that you want to that you want to drip down or, I mean, we got a lot to work with here. First of all, <laughs> uh, I think we hit on the, the big things. Uh, yeah, but I think those are more than enough for people to, to chew on. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. Thanks so much for this. I know people can go to your website, which we'll link in the show notes, michaeldsimmons.com. What do you offer on your site as well? I know you've got a newsletter, but so does everybody else. Why should we choose you for our <laughs> internet, our email bandwidth? Well, uh, I've been writing for Forrest for about 18 months on relationships, and I've interviewed uh, hundreds of people, whether it be the top researchers or, or relationship builders. In my articles, you know, I really spend like 30 hours on each article, just getting the, the research right uh, and the story so that it's, uh, it really goes deep and also is practical. So it's not like the purely the a shallow list of things that I, I put together in an hour. It's right. unique and valuable. It's not a BuzzFeed article. It's a Forbes article. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I really like this because I knew when people 
we're saying, oh, we want to learn more about networking. The thing is, everybody talks about like, give value, give value. And it's just so nebulous. There's not a lot of habit forming there. So people go, I need to, you know, network more. And it's the sort of thing that you'll do tomorrow, like getting in shape as opposed to going to the gym and actually doing X, Y, and Z, right? So it becomes really powerful when you can create the this net, network brokerage when it becomes a way of life as opposed to something that you have on your task list, I think that's when it becomes more powerful. I mean, can you speak to that a little bit? Can you speak to internalizing this, this something that you internalize and that becomes maybe automatic, not automated, but automatic where you go, mm-hmm. oh, I should introduce this person to this person rather than I need to make an intro today or I fail. Yeah. I mean, one of my core beliefs that I've gotten from doing all these interviews is that you know, the people that are the most successful, they're not the people who necessarily had, like are the most outgoing and the most slick. You know, a lot of the people I've interviewed, like Adam Rifkin, are introverted and shy. And I, I'm personally naturally that way uh, as well. And so sometimes the, sometimes the best tactic is no tactic in terms of, you know, I think the underlying idea is just really appreciating people and authentically being curious about them and wanting to connect and realizing that people are core to who we are. And we're just scientists showing us more and more that even things that we think are just us are a result of the cultures and people we're surrounded by and they're key to our success. So, uh, you know, I think not all networks are created equal and, if you have a, a network that's purely based on short-term quid pro quo, and people can tell that you're just giving to get something back right away, mm-hmm. you know, people can really sniff that. Whereas if you kind of go deeper and are authentic, you can build a network of kindred spirits, people who can really connect with you at a deep level, who even if you change jobs in the future or do different things, you're still connected by that bond. And I think that's the power of going deeper and being authentic. Versus being more shallow and you you build these relationships and then you switch and, you know, you've lost all of them because there was no basis for them. Right. No, exactly. Whereas it became sort of a business task and, as opposed to something that that was actually, I hate to say useful, but more, I guess not useful, but uh, substantive in your life. Yeah. And I'll share the how I, I really felt this is we've done, I mentioned we've done over 600 events on college campuses. We, after, uh, uh, I graduated with my wife. We co-founded uh, the Extreme Entrepreneurship Tour, and we actually got a, a tour bus, and we'd bring some of the country's top young entrepreneurs on college campuses, and we work with the entrepreneurship centers. And over the years, we've worked, we've built these relationships, and they were all really good, positive, cordial business relationships. And the hosts were happy, but I, I didn't, you know, in retrospect, I didn't really build them on a deeper level. So when I personally switched out of that, you know, I lost touch with a lot of people and felt like it was sad that I spent so many years being around people and interacting and we didn't form a basis that continued that. So now I really think about how can I really build a relationship and find the right people that this relationship could last for life? Because I think that's where there's the compounding value of it. Thank you so much. Michael Simmons, michaeldsimmons.com. We'll have that linked up in the show notes. And uh, when does your new article come out that's going to sort of outline these habits? Is that going to be on your blog and in your newsletter? In July, it's going to come out. Excellent. And yeah, it'll be on both. All right, great. Thanks so much, man. 
All right, interesting stuff. Networking is always a hot topic here, especially that's why we like to influence the practical as opposed to the theoretical. And I think being vulnerable online and why it's key for networking is actually a really good idea. I think a lot of us feel like we have to be Superman online. And of course, that goes to the power of our origin story and how that makes us highly relatable, both online and in person. I really was surprised to see that one factor uniting high performers was in fact their ability to bridge different networks. It makes perfect sense, but until now, the science wasn't really in on that. Of course, the seven power networking habits that should become a way of life for all of us, I know I'm gonna incorporate plenty of these into what I already do because I've seen so much ROI from being a good networker that I think it's just, it's, it's, it's a skill worth taking all the way to the top. So I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. More from Michael at michaeldsimmons.com and of course the links in the show notes as always. Now let's wrap with a fashion tip from our man Aaron Marino. Due to popular demand, we got fashion tips from my man Aaron Marino from imalphaM.com. He's going to be dropping some knowledge on us to learn how to dress our best. All right, we talked on another show about matching leather and browns and stuff like that. Can we match the color black as well? I mean, is that something? Because if I have a black shirt and black pants or, you know, maybe a suit top that's charcoal and another one that's slate uh, bottoms, is that something I'm allowed to get away with or is that just going to look weird? It's go okay. First thing, blacks never match unless they come as a unit. Okay. So if you're buying that suit and it's a, you know, black jacket, black pants, yes, it matches. But trying to match a shirt that you've had with pants that you buy, it never matches. The, the, the black, you would think that black would be black, but with fabric, it fades at different intervals. Um, another tip I would give you, if you do have a black suit or any suit for that matter, when you take, if you just wear the jacket as a sport coat and you want to get it dry cleaned, make sure to take the pants with that. Okay. Even though the pants might not be dirty, you take them both as a set. What's going to happen if you start washing and dry cleaning things at different intervals or different times, different frequencies, they're not going to match. The fabric is going to wear differently. It's going to fade differently. But as a general rule, blacks never match. Dude, that's really interesting. I never thought about taking something to the cleaners with the part that goes with it, which seems so obvious now. You know, it seems like, oh, I got mustard on my pant leg, but I don't need to take my blazer in. And then you, you take it and they, you know, they, they just one, it's one little tiny shade lighter. And maybe you sweat through your pants because, you know, you're sitting down a lot and you get sweatier and you don't air out down there or you drop stuff on there when you're eating and it happens more. But over time, you know, five or 10 dry cleans, maybe not even that many more than its counterpart. It looks radically different, right? Absolutely. You got that. Absolutely correct. For more from Aaron Marino, search for Alpha M on YouTube or go to imalphaM.com. Solid show as usual, if I do say so myself. Show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know at jordanh at theartofcharm.com. Bootcamp details, that's our live training at theartofcharm.com. And that's also where you can find links to us on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, then that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for the Art of Charm podcast or by going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and clicking subscribe. That's it. You guys can also help us. If you subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, give us a five-star rating and write something nice. We'll love you forever. Just go to iTunes.com slash theartofcharm and it'll take you right there. 
when you write us a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily and get the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing training from us. So tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything better than you found it. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 